0: You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply Disaster Tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at dobermanemg.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme Series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated three meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme Series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized rapid, non invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show everybody. It's your host John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. Several years ago I served on the National Strike Team. It's called the National IMAT West at the time, now Red, It's under FEMA. And I had a good friend there. His name is Andy John. He's with me today. Andy has moved on to bigger and better things, working for the, Depart- the Virginia Department of Emergency Management. We're going to be talking about that today. And I'm just excited to catch up with the guy. Andy, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me on. And If you'll allow me to take a quick minute, I want to congratulate you on your success with your business and the podcast. Uh, during the COVID response last year, when I could, I'd like to go out on runs to de-stress. And you were the guy I was listening to. Uh, so in a sense, you kind of got me through the COVID response with, uh, with your podcast. It's awesome. Just wanted to say congratulations,
0: man. Hey, thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, we try to help people out as much as we can, try to give uh, some good tips and ideas and just try to connect people. Like, hey, like COVID, I think COVID really blasted a lot of people. Like we get into this field for disasters and yet a slow onset disaster like COVID is just it's just relentless as you know, more than I do even at this point. And so, um, Hey, uh, glad that we were able to be a resource for you. And, um, I'm sure you had to do a lot of things that you didn't want to do during COVID, you know, it was exhausting hours for sure. But, um, hopefully we're, we're heading out. I mean, Delta is kind of, uh, is kind of an issue that we're kind of worried about the the variant there, but hopefully in the next six, 12 months we start to, to pull out of this thing and Uh, I want to say return to normal because it's going to be definitely a new normal, especially for emergency managers. But in fact, in that vein, um, tell us a little bit about um, maybe the actions that you think are happening on the regional level where COVID will change emergency management,
1: you know, for the continuum. Sure. You know, in Virginia, we have a a regional approach to emergency management. and So VDEM has seven regions that we operate across the state. And, Um, you know, that's kind of been an evolution over the past five or six years. Mm. And so VDEM has really built capacity within the region to support local emergency management, local governments, uh, and created a, a presence that's there almost on a daily basis to build those relationships with, uh, with those folks. But, uh, we haven't really seen our state agencies mirror that type of preparedness, uh, structure like VDEM has until COVID hit. Uh, when we had a statewide incident or event like COVID where we're just taxed on all angles. Every state agency is fighting this thing. Uh, they really saw the need to decentralize and get leadership out into the field, uh, get them closer to the action where, you know, our locals are out there executing this mission and we need to provide them support down at the lowest level possible. And so we really started to see our state agencies start to structure around VDM uh, in the regions we've set up. And so, uh, I'm really proud of what we've done in Northern Virginia. We've got, uh, you know, my counterparts at the Department of Health, National Guard, State Police, uh, DOT, VDOT, uh, Department of Conservation and Recreation, uh, 211 Virginia. I could go on all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we've done is we have built the capacity within each region of Virginia to be able to respond uh, to disasters now and support the local governments that are responding because, COVID really showed us that when we're hit statewide, we've got to decentralize. We've got to get the support out to the field and put leaders in place to be able to execute that. And so I do feel like that is the future for Virginia in emergency management is to not only be them structure that way, but to bring whole of government into the regions to be able to support that type of response.
0: Um, I was just interviewing uh, your good pal, Patrick McGinn. And uh, we were talking about the whole community approach. And we, I, I said this thing on the show. I said um, the best emergency managers are the experts at grabbing all the stakeholders involved into response or in turn in terms of that planning process. And I loved how you're just naming off each of the stakeholders that you, uh, you know, you coordinated, including a Virginia two on one, which is another thing that Patrick just brought up, by the way. Of working with two one one and how important that is for social services and so, um, like hats off to you, man! Like you're really proving that you you're truly an expert in that space and and working with stakeholders and the importance of working with stakeholders, and uh, it just goes to show like in this in COVID environment, there's there's still a lot of wins you can get. In fact, um, I would argue that COVID has highlighted the role of emergency management more than any other disaster that we've had because even in a hurricane, which is like the go to for emergency managers, especially on the federal level, um, like there was still like the perception of like who's involved—is it the VOAD? Is it this or that? But during COVID, like I don't feel like I have to give a dissertation anymore of like explaining to people what emergency management is. It's like oh, there's all these other pieces, and we're pr- trying to pull them all together. So that's that's a really good uh, call out that you just made there. In terms of Northern Virginia, Northern Virginia is a, a really interesting. Um, an area because you know I lived in DC before and so the national capital region just in general is uh is unique because of the capital what uh, planning constraints are you uh focusing on the most because you have to deal with the proximity to DC
1: That's a great question um and you knew I was going to bring up Ron, so I'm going to do it now <laughs> of course <laughs> and I'm not shocked that that pat said similar things to me because we were definitely trained in similar uh, environments on the and with Rodney. Yeah. Uh, But when you talk about organization, right, that's the first thing I'm looking at. You know, Rodney was big on organization being the most important thing in emergency management. Uh, When I got up to Northern Virginia, I'll tell you, it was extremely confusing on who does what, what is the process for these things, Mm. uh, how do we navigate that Maryland, D.C., and Virginia are all separate states D.C. kind of being a quasi-state, if you will, how do we navigate all that? And so the first thing I really tried to learn was what is the organization? You know, how how do we organize ourselves as the national capital region to be able to respond to something? And we can talk about January 6th here in a minute because I think that was a classic example of how three states came together to respond to an incident. Um,
0: but how do we organize
1: three separate states, three separate, uh, you know, emergency management programs, but even within that, you've got uh, 25 local jurisdictions that you have to coordinate with. So what does that structure look like? What is that organization? Who are the right points of contact? Uh, and then what is that process, uh, to be able to, to work through all the different, uh, you know, request processes, information sharing, everything that needs to happen in response. How does that happen within the national capital region? So, uh, that is definitely one of the most complex things that we continue to navigate. Uh, January 6th, I feel like we we're extremely successful on navigating the complexities of crossing state boundaries and jurisdictional lines and things like that. But that's because there's a lot of investment in regionalism up here. Uh, there's tons of meetings. If I could show you that our chart of how many meetings we're supposed to go to within a given month, you'd be, you'd be shocked that we're actually able to do it. Um, but nonetheless, that's, That's what we call investment and regionalism. And at those meetings, we're building relationships. We're having those conversations about who do you call, what resources do you have, uh, what box do you fill in the org chart, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we've really, we've figured out that organization so that everyone knows where they sit.
0: Okay. You brought up three things that I want to ask you about. And this is probably going to happen a lot in this episode because you're, you're uh, you're so well versed. Okay. First of all, you bring up the org chart yes as a uh, if, as rodney as the um, the the i call him i've been starting to call him the godfather of emergency planning cuz he's not really like the the professor because like he like quietly just influences like literally everyone even now he's retired and i call him up and he's like oh yeah i was giving advice to this this party this party this party i was like you're kind of like still steering the ship so he's like the godfather of emergency planning um but you call I, him the godfather? huh? The Rodfather. The Rodfather. (laughs) I like, (laughs) that's (laughs) awesome. I'm going to (laughs) start. That's kind of like Odin. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, the Rodfather. That's awesome. Um, so I left FEMA as one of his, you know, pupils, if you will. And I got hired at a a really large tech company to uh, lead business intelligence there. And, um, I was like, Hey, what's your org chart? And like, Oh, we don't believe in org charts. And I'm like, I'm sorry. What? Uh, we don't believe in... You definitely have an org chart. And the, like I would fight with, this, with, this, with them on there for a while. And so what I had to start doing is I started creating their own org, org chart for them. They didn't believe in org charts, but they had managers and subordinates and uh, teams. And they had all these different things. I'm like, you definitely have an org chart. And you just make it very confusing for your own staff. And so when I would go up to the executive, I'd be like, hey you need to start implementing org charts, and this is the benefit org charts can do for you because your staff is super confused. Um, so that's that's a really funny call out. I'll hold off on January 6th for a moment and talk about the in investment in re- regionalism. That's a thought that has actually come up multiple times recently on this show and in my private conversations of people investing in that thought, which I, I, th- I find is interesting. Like you see these like the cool thing about this podcast is you get to see like the trends happening in real time. And um, one thing is regionalism. So I'm going to ask this question to you then. Um, Emergency managers often focus on the jurisdictional boundaries of what they can operate in or the scope of what they can operate in. But regionalism, uh, I believe, would sit outside of that. And so if you're thinking of all all the groups... When you're trying to create, of like, what is my region? What would make up a region in your mind? What are some of those metrics of? Hey, here's the scope of who I should be working with.
1: Sure, and obviously, I'm—I don't know if bias is the right word, but I, I just know how we do it in Virginia, so I might speak a lot to that. Um, but you're going to have local jurisdictions. You're going to have regional organizations that aren't states, that aren't local, that aren't even private. We've got. You know, like the Northern Virginia Emergency Response System is a uh, private nonprofit that helps coordinate and support preparedness for our local public safety. And so they act as a regional entity for us. They don't report to any state agency or local government. And so you will have regional organizations that you need to build relationships with that have a role uh, in what you're doing. And then, of course, your state agencies, most of them will have field staff uh, that you need to build a relationship with. Um, and of course private sector, you know, some of the big organizations we have in Northern Virginia, obviously Amazon is coming in hot and heavy, uh, down in the arlington and Alexandria area. Uh, so they're going to be a big partner for us going forward. Um, but your major utilities, you know, uh, your energy companies, your, your, uh, phone cell providers, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, building relationships with them and to so the org chart piece, making sure they know where they fit in this big structure. And I think that's really where we've started to see success is helping paint that picture. So folks understand, okay, a major tornado just came through or the hurricanes two days away or the capitals being attacked. Where do I fit into this giant picture of this region that I work in or that I live in? And so being able to paint that very clearly for them helps create a, a good environment for a smooth response and then a smooth recovery, because everyone knows their role, everyone knows where they fit in, and when to provide information, what information to provide. But all of that work is before that tornado comes through, before that hurricane shows up, or before the campus attack. Um, and so there's a, a lot of different organizations that we've really tried to work with within Northern Virginia. Uh, but I think the biggest piece is that organization, is making sure everyone knows where they fit.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great call out for just understanding your role and being an expert in your role. And again, going back to that whole community approach of uh, understanding the roles of others. And so you can work really well within that um, that spider web of complexity. Um, my GI, GIS brain starts to, to go off on thinking about metrics too. And um, I think of drive time analysis. I think of uh, people don't stop at the, at the jurisdictional boundary of where they work and where they live, where they play. And so if you have somebody who is, if you have a population that you're able to see is is going into Washington, DC, and you have an event in your specific jurisdictional boundary in Northern Virginia, those people are going to try to get home. So I, I think about, I think about drive time analysis there. I think about, um, like scarcity of food. And the distribution of how 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 food can work out if your system systems are cut off. I think about those kinds of things, and so I'm able to start geospatially figuring out where my true region is, um, because again, they don't really follow those lines. But um, yeah, I think I think looking at those different perspectives is really important.
1: That's a great point. You know, um, I haven't really talked about some of the projects that we do work on regionally, but. Um, more so lately, we're starting to look at those supply chains for the NCR, mm. and you know I think we're starting to realize that whether it's D.C., Virginia, or Maryland, you know the supply chain comes through all of our jurisdictions to support all of our jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know with the I think the food supply chain was the one we were looking at not too long ago, um, but D.C. quickly realized they have two distribution. Chains for, for food that come through, that come into DC, that come through Northern Virginia. Mm. And so, you know, it alerted them that they probably need to be doing a little more coordination with Northern Virginia, our office, with the locality. Awesome. Uh, to make sure that roads are open uh, or which roads need to be open so that that supply chain can, can get back up after a disaster. So, that's awesome. There's a lot of work in projects that we look at.
0: Um, well, that's, that just made me feel like, oh, sweet, I nailed it. Um, so, that's great. The uh, man, I can talk about geospatial analysis forever. Obviously, I'm I'm really lucky to to have been pushed into GIS from a planning and operations perspective first, and to be able to like see like how they can pair together. And you know, you just called it out right now of like, hey, uh, this is you're able to to figure out who you can possibly work with through that geospatial analysis. Regionalism is really um, fascinating to me because. Like the tornado doesn't care about boundaries, right? Like the hurricane coming in, that's gonna that's definitely a regional response, right? And so, like, there's lots of that, and uh, DC is especially vulnerable to that. The national capital region, man, uh, there was so much uh, complexity of continuity of operations. So, based off of um, your COOP, your continuity of operations plan for business. Um, there's this thought that you should have uh, an immediate coop 50 miles away, and then you should have a long-term coop coup plan um, that is 300 miles away. Well, the National Capital Region, you think about the the area that that covers, that covers most of that. And so where do backup facilities happen? Well, that's still going to be in that same region and who you coordinate with that. And so like, there's all those federal agencies are within that scope. And so they start coordinating with the towns and the districts and the the counties even of where they're going to have their offsite locations if they have to move their staff for whatever incident happens. So really in, an interesting call out. Um, and that's kind of a, a kind of a funny segue into January 6th. What was your perspective? You talked about the complexity of coordination From a guy who's 3,000 miles away, it feels like, from a federal side, they took a long time to get that under control. From the state and regional perspective, what was happening on the ground?
1: Well, we had a lot of buildup to that day. And so, you know, our perspective was obviously from the Virginia side. You know, from an emergency management perspective, during during that response, it didn't matter
0: Mm.
1: who it was. The Capitol was being attacked help was being requested. And we need to get it.
0: Good point. Uh,
1: It wasn't until later that night where myself and my team really sat down and said, Holy crap, this just happened. Um, you know, the, the actual, the magnitude of what just happened didn't really hit us until later that evening. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but from an emergency manager perspective, we couldn't worry about that in the moment. Uh, we were getting requests left and right to support, uh, so we were trying to fill those as fast as we could. And uh, from our perspective, we have, you know, I, I keep hitting on it, but we had built a process where uh, within within the regions, we activate what's called a regional coordination center. Mm. Um, and I don't want folks to think that it's a physical place where we have this elaborate situational awareness system set up and all that we could be set up anywhere, but as long as the right partners are in place, to do regional coordination, that's our regional coordination center. So that day, uh, we had partnered with state police to set up a, a platoon of troopers to stage uh, with, with somewhere in Northern Virginia where we were located. And in the event that DC called for help or for whatever reason the protests spilled over into Virginia, we were ready to provide the state level support that was needed. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm extremely happy with the way we performed that day. Um I think it was around 2 2:15 2. where we got the first call from the District of Columbia. Uh and within 45 minutes we had uh, an EMAC approved by the state coordinator of Virginia mm. Had 70 state police troopers in the District of Columbia. And we had them linked up with the law enforcement that was already responding That's ready amazing. to go. Support the capital, and so when it comes to mutual aid and EMAC at 45 minutes, you never hear that.
0: Yeah, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, it was all the preparation that took place beforehand, uh, and so you know it all comes back to that that investment in regionalism, having the people in place, and the process in place to do that. Um, so, so yeah, and you know it was just a, a really long day. We had uh, uh, my staff in place at the regional coordination center, and you mentioned your friend said he hadn't been in the office in a very long time. We hadn't either. Uh, that was our first time back in the office cause we had a, a feeling it was going to be a bad day. And uh, we all co-located together and tried as best as possible to take necessary precautions. Um, and, uh, we actually had a few positive tests come out of that response as well from our staff. And so, you know, even from an emergency management perspective, we were putting essentially our lives at risk to respond to this incident in the national capital region. Um, But we got the resources to where they were needed. Um, And, you know, D.C., because of the complexity of three states, 25 jurisdictions, D.C. really looks to the Virginia Regional Coordination Center to then coordinate the local jurisdictions within Northern Virginia. And so we were coordinating with, you know, Prince William County, Fairfax County, Arlington, Alexandria uh, to corral their local law enforcement to also get across the river into the District of Columbia. Mm. Um, so, in the sense of emergency management, it was true resource management, information management, uh, but also trying to uh, protect your staff in the middle of this COVID response as well. Um,
0: again, you brought up so many things I want to talk about. So let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit. So, um, you talked about um, kind of the why, like the why, like our, the comment that I wrote down is the why is not important. When I would get deployed, and I'm trying to explain to people like what GIS does in a response i would say who what when where and how bad i didn't care about the why because that was law enforcement i usually knew i was out there was a hurricane wildfire uh, insurrection whatever you want to call it um riot the um yeah so i I think that's incredibly telling that it does hit you later and um you have to you have to you're in go mode. You don't have time to be emotional. Right? I can be emotional now thinking about it, you know, how many months later. Just like, man, it's so messed up. But yeah, that day, like it was it was literally just logistical for me too. Just like, okay, like, what do we do? How do you how do you want to walk through it and just like providing that advice and support um as my friend needed it. Um and I, I think it's incredible about the EMAC. In fact, here's a call out. FEMA Right now is um, asking for a public comment on their EMAC process, um, and so um, all my USAR buddies just send it over to me. But um, maybe you should get involved in that process. It was forty-five minutes, pretty incredible to get seventy people over there. Um, the other thing that you, you kind of talked about was—I um, mean, I kind of already highlighted it—was the hitting you later disasters we we we've been doing this thing on our show where we've been kind of bringing up what I've been calling mental first aid. Disasters do have an impact whether you're directly involved in a USAR first responder or whatever or you're trying to support from, you know, 100 miles away, that stress does impact you. And understanding how it impacts you and and what level, like sometimes it's like no big deal, but every once in a while it is a big deal. And um, coping with stress and so if you're going to talk to an emergency manager who's been dealing with COVID for a year and a half, who is just exhausted, who maybe ha- was in DC or maybe they're gearing up for fire season, whatever, how are how do you deal with stress and how do you kind of decompress from that process?
1: Yeah, this this year has been really tough, and not not only for uh, myself and my team, I know everybody could probably say that, uh, but literally January first through the fifth. I felt better than I had felt in a year <laughs> uh, because I, finally, I had finally gotten some rest during the New Year holiday, uh-huh. uh, New Year's holiday, holiday after, you know, fighting COVID all year. And then, of course, January 6th happens. Yeah. We respond to that, um, you know, not only the magnitude of what that response was, but, you know, several team members testing positive for COVID because of that response as well. And then we have to turn around, and we're planning for what was going to be one of the more simple inaugurations ever, because it was going to be pretty much all virtual and now being the most complex inauguration ever in, mm. in DC because of security constraints, security concerns, and you literally have thousands of resources that are now you know coming to DC and Virginia to support this inauguration. How do you plan all that? How do you support all that? How do you coordinate all of that mm. while having half the team out with COVID? Um, it was extremely stressful. And there's no there's no sugarcoating. It was extremely stressful for all of us. Uh, we got through it, and then of course, after inauguration was over, we had to jump into the vaccination campaign uh, as well. And so, I would I would say, you know, as a as a supervisor, if I got a leave request, I didn't even ask questions. You know, um, it's approved. Go do, do what you need to do. Take the time. The team has your back. And so, I would encourage anybody in emergency management that does have staff especially in today's world. If they need half a day, if they need a day, if they need a week, approve it. Let them go do their thing. Let them do what they need to do because they're going to come back sharper, right? And they're going to come back a better employee. They're going to come back a better emergency manager. Uh, And if they don't take that time, it's only going to be, uh, it's only going to get worse. And so for myself personally, uh, not only did I start to take some time uh, this summer, you know, we took a trip with, uh Rodney and friends uh down That's in Georgia. Right. That was really nice to catch up with them. That really uh helped my mental state for sure. Um, but also taking the time to do a staycation. You know, there's a lot of things all of us weren't able to do last year uh on our in our personal lives, whether it was catching up on projects at home, uh hanging out with family, uh, you know, doing some professional development, whatever it is, taking the time to be able to catch up on that and do that has really helped sharpen my focus on uh, getting back into the office and focusing on emergency management. So, Mm. you know, I, I believe it. I, I lived it. Uh, It was a stressful time there in January. It was a stressful time for everybody. Uh, But taking those, those days off and improving days off when I was asked was, was very helpful.
0: Uh, are you sick of virtual?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> Interesting. There was a yeah. there was a time there definitely I was sick of it, um, but I think mm-hmm. it has its place. Yeah. Uh, you talk about drive time in the national capital region, mm. or any region. Uh, we are the smallest geographic region in Virginia, but we still have the probably same amount of drive time that it would take to drive from one side of the region to the other, just because of the traffic. Yeah, And so not having to drive all the way into DC for a meeting that we now know we can hold virtually, that's a benefit. To me. That's a benefit to my team. Uh, it frees us up to do more stuff. And so I do think it has its place, but I also think face-to-face relationship building has a really important place in virtual. management.
0: Yeah. I I like that answer because I hear one side, like you hear the one side, like just get back to the office, get back to the office. And the other one's like, Oh, I really like virtual. And I think, I think the real lesson learned here is that theres benefits to both, and we shouldn't be so hard line like the idea like you can't have a virtual disaster kind of out the door we know we can do it so um like first comes to shove you can do it that way um and you can still be successful obviously um the the January first through fifth thing I felt the same way actually I was like ah twenty twenty like see ya and then January sixth happened and you're like you son of a, and it's like, it just like, it drives you nuts. And, um, I think, uh, yeah, for me, it was astounding to hear from a law enforcement perspective, but again, I'm talking federal here that they're, that they didn't, they didn't expect. I'm like, I think everybody expected something to happen. It, I don't think the magnitude of what happened. I, I don't think I was expecting that, but I was expecting some idiot to do something stupid let alone 5,000 people to do something stupid. So um, it's it's um, it's pretty incredible to think about the implications of what that will mean for the future too and, and the rollout. Um, there are eight steps to an active shooter, eight steps to terrorism, and they're very similar. You, people can look it up. Uh, FBI puts this out. And if you look at what J- January 6th did, like they followed each of those eight steps, like almost verbatim. And it's like, man, like it was so obvious. And then you think about, okay, if you think of that, if you think, again, I'm going hardcore here, obviously hardcore. But if you think about somebody trying to attack the Capitol or you're trying to attack, uh, you know, the United States, what typically happens is there is a lull, there's a high stress and then a lull and then a high stress. And then there's surveillance and they start doing all these things again. And we're starting to follow that process again. And um, the rhetoric is starting to be being built up again. And it's like, oh, um, this is where you get some idiot who um, takes, takes something and takes it to the extreme and will do something. And so, like, I think we just need to be aware of that. You're going to have to be aware of that um, in D.C. Anybody will. Uh, for the foreseeable future of this high tension that's happening. It's not just verbal anymore. People are doing something about it. Um, so that's.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I gave a presentation to the Virginia Emergency Management Association at their symposium a month ago. Mm. And I told them a story. You know, one of the most impactful things that happened leading up to January 6th for me uh, in emergency management. You know, we could argue all day of whether or not we thought this was going to happen. Was the intelligence there? Was it not? Uh, but uh, my my state police counterpart uh, came to me about a week before. And we have conversations all the time. We have a fantastic relationship with state police. And uh, this guy was, uh, uh, he was in the Marines. And so now he's been, uh, he's been a state trooper for almost 30 years. And he said, hey. I know what the intelligence is saying. I know what we've been talking about, but I just have a really bad feeling. My guts telling me something bad's going to happen. And I tell you, that's all I needed to hear. Mm. You know, the intelligence is informative. The information's informative, the analysis informative, but I got a guy of 30 plus years of law enforcement that's written the book on civil disturbance telling me that he's got a bad feeling about about this day. That's all I needed to hear to say, let's do it. Let's stage resources, let's activate, let's be ready. And of course it played out the way it did. And, you know, just grateful that he came to me and was willing to share that feeling because it allowed us to be successful that day.
0: And now we're full circle talking about relationships. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. And it highlights how training data and experience those three things combined, uh, create an expert um and we push that really hard at Doberman we don't hire anybody that uh, in emergency management that hasn't already been in the field doing emergency management and um it keeps our business really small keeps us hyper focused on like the projects we want to work on but at the same time like I'm like super anti cookie cutter I'm like tired of like the brick um plans that you know you get and it's like half of its definitions that nobody cares about and so like we're able to get in there. And and when you have a gut feeling, it's not just somebody's opinion. It's uh, it's, a, it's 30 years of data that they've gathered. And hopefully, it's coordinating with other sources too. It also highlights that he did look at the intelligence. Like He didn't just have a gut feeling. He actually looked at the information as well. And so like, there's a call out there. Um, we're, we're running out of time here, Andy, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I would like you to maybe give uh, closing thoughts of the advice you'd want to give to emergency managers who listen to the show.
1: You know, I think what I'd like to say is just listen before you speak. You know, that last story. I I have a problem with uh, that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the more experience you get, the more you can speak, right? Because you're speaking with with respect there. But Mm. the experts are out there, and if people are coming to you with Questions that are coming to you with requests for help, it's because they've asked everyone else and you're the last person that they've come to because you're the emergency manager, right? You're the last line of defense. Uh, If you don't know where to go to get help, then, you know, it's it's not a good day. And so I would just say, listen to your surroundings, listen to the experts that you brought into the room. Consider all of that before you speak or before you make a big decision because they're going to give you what you need to know to make that best decision. Going back to my state police story, that was all I needed to hear. After looking at everything, that we're going to do this, we're going to we're going to go full board to be ready to go. So, listen and then
0: speak. That's perfect, uh, and a perfect call out for a podcast. So, uh, listen to the show, give us a five star rating, and subscribe, kind of thing. Um, but seriously, Andy, thank you uh, so much for coming on, talk about um, investing in regionalism, investing in stakeholders, and knowing who those are. Obviously, you're an expert because you've been able to pull in those resources and able to talk about that with ease. Uh, Thanks for helping out with January 6th and for staging that. Um, Talk about a a catalyst for change in emergency management and thinking about security implications uh, of that side of emergency management and the coordination that needs to happen. Um, I wish you the best of luck in Northern Virginia. I seriously hope that we don't have another incident, um, but you'll be more prepared probably because of January 6th. And so, um, the nation's more prepared because you're there as well. So uh, big call out to you guys. Um, if you like this episode, if you had a good time listening, if you learned something which you should have, um you can do a couple different things. You can give us again that five star rating and subscribe. You should have listened to that. But if you have a question for Andy, if you have a question about coordination, collaboration, the national capital region, whatever, you can reach out a couple different ways. You can be brave enough and put out your question on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, whatever. And we'll we'll make sure that Andy sees that through the public discussion there. But if you have another question and you're like, hey, I don't want to put this out public, you can, uh, of, of course, reach out to Doberman through info at dobermanemg.com. We'll pass it over to Andy and um, we'll make sure you guys get to coordinated that way as well. And uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks, John.